Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Something magic happens. From Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, 33rd Street, to be precise, it's the throwback league, the 11th seed out of this side of the bracket. The 93 Phillies have made it just down the road 100 miles to take on the three seed, the 1983 Baltimore Orioles. This is Josh Lewin. This is the throwback league. Yeah, we are seeding the teams. We are playing the game simulated by whatifsports.com. Eventually, we will have a winner. Follow all the progress, as always, on the website, throwbackleague.com, and download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, please do that. So, the 83 Orioles, who beat the Phillies in that year's World Series, will get a Phillies team that's 10 years into the future. The 93 Phillies have very little in common with that 83 version. The only common denominator is pretty much the guys in the booth. Harry the K, Richie Ashburn, Wheels. Larry Anderson and Darren Dalton were on both teams, but other than that, well, Steve Carlton had been out of Philly since 86, retired since 88. Pete Rose is now John Cruck, Joe Morgan now Mickey Morandini. Yvonne DeJesus is now Kevin Stocker. Mike Schmidt is now Dave Hollins. But the Phillies of both those seasons do share in common the fact they lost the World Series in which they played. 93 Phillies to the Blue Jays after getting past the Braves in the NLCS. Let's kick off our coverage of this one with our pregame analyst, John Miller. Not only the Hall of Fame, a former Sunday Night Baseball announcer on ESPN, but also the voice of these 83 Orioles alongside Tom Marr and Chuck Thompson. Earl Weaver, the Earl of Baltimore, one of the all-time great managers and a classic, retired after the 82 season. And Joe Altobelli, their AAA manager, was brought in to replace him. Earl wanted Cal Ripken Sr., and he campaigned overtly for Cal Ripken Sr. to become the manager, but they went without Tabelli instead. In the annual off-season dinner, the Thompson Sports Dinner, they had a big dais, uh, and there was about a 12-foot drop behind the dais to a cement floor. And Earl's there, and Altabelli's there, and uh, Earl gets introduced to go speak, and he walks past Joe Altabelli, and Joe Altabelli scoots his chair back to give Earl a little more room to pass by, and he falls off the back of the dais and lands flat on his backside, hits his head on that cement, and and he's like passed out on the on the floor. And they all are shocked and and astounded. They all go over and think, uh, is he dead? And uh, and Earl walks over with his cocktail in his hand, and he he looks down at him. He says, uh, Well, I'll be damned. Looks like Rip's going to get this job after all. 
<laughs> so suffice it to say, Joe survived, but it was no easy task uh, replacing the Earl of Baltimore, and yet they won it all. And even then, he didn't get credit for it because it was Earl's team. But uh, Altabelli did a, a, a great job, and that was the best, his his best, and really last, his first and last hurrah as a big league manager. Thank you, John. We'll get back into the home team in just a bit. But first, let's reset the 93 Phillies, who beat the 82 Cardinals to advance here tonight. And a typically humid night here in Baltimore. Chances of some thunderstorms moving in later. But for now, other than it being a sweaty evening here on 33rd Street, a good night to grab a hot dog and a natty bow and just settle on in. We look forward to seeing these 93 Philadelphians who won the NL East with 97 wins, only by three games, but it was never really that close. They lost four of their last five regular season games. They finished three games up instead of six or seven. On to the NLCS. They beat the Braves four games to two, lost to the Blue Jays in the Fall Classic by that same four to two margin. 93, listening tapes in Philadelphia, probably leaning towards White Snake, so it's, it's doubtful a lot of fans were familiar with a classic Broadway musical. But in Damn Yankees, the long-suffering Washington Senators fan Joe Boyd makes a deal with the devil, gives up his soul to guarantee a pennant for a perennial doormat of the league. So cue the improbable National League title won by the 93 Phillies, a collection of mulleted misfits who had finished Last in 92, they'd uh, reversed, uh, revert to sub-500 existence in 94. And it seems like there was kind of a, a Faustian bargain in play here. One good season. Sell your soul for 93. Whatever the reason, that magic did expire at 11.37 p.m. October 23rd of 1993. Joe Carter's World Series winning a homer cleared the left field wall at Sky Dome. And that was pretty much the start of that cruel payback. Even the best of the 93 Phillies would be tainted by personal problems, legal problems, drug problems, and there were some deaths in there, unfortunately, but that group of the, the mullet-wearing, unkept, grizzled beer drinkers, they'll forever live very fondly in the hearts and minds of all the fans in Philly. Phillies have been picked to finish last. They found the 97 wins. They got off to a fast start, mesmerized the masses with a series of miraculous wins. Milt Thompson had a wall-climbing catch that would have been a game-winning grand slam in San Diego. One night later in L.A., Mickey Morandini came to the rescue with his defense. Just a relentless group. One of those 97 wins ending at 4.40 in the morning, another taking 20 innings. And 3.1 million fans, a record for Philly at the time, packing Veterans Stadium that summer. They almost got it done, finishing just shy of the victory parade. Elsewhere in 93 around baseball, the All-Star game was here in Baltimore at the new Camden Yards in 100-degree weather and insane humidity, like 200% humidity. In the home run derby, Ken Griffey Jr. hit the warehouse on the fly. In the game, the AL won it. Kirby Puckett was MVP. Regular season MVPs were Frank Thomas and Barry Bonds, your Cy Young Award winners Jack McDowell and Greg Maddox. Rookies of the year, they were in L.A., Tim Salmon and Mike Piazza. Managers of the year, Gene Lamont, no dummy. For the White Sox, Dusty Baker for the San Francisco Giants. John Olerud with the AL batting title. Andres Galarraga in the NL for the expansion Rockies. Alex Rodriguez will be the number one pick in the June draft. And July 28th saw Mets pitcher Anthony Young end his 27-game losing streak, a major league record. That same day, Ken Griffey Jr., homered in his eighth straight game, tying the record held by Dale Long and Don Mattingly. 
in September. Daryl Kyle and Jim Abbott threw no hitters. Dave Winfield with his 3,000th hit. Nolan Ryan getting the last of his record 5,714 strikeouts, leaving a September 22nd game in Seattle with an injured elbow. He would never pitch again. All right, let's do the lineups now for those visiting 93 Phillies. Leading off in center, it's Lenny Dykstra. Shortstop Kevin Stocker to follow. John Cruck at first. Pete Incavillia is in left hitting cleanup. Darren Dalton, the catcher. Dave Hollins at third. Jim Eisenreich in right. Mariano Duncan will DH. And Mickey Morandini, the second baseman, batting number nine. Terry Mulholland will be on the mound in this one. All right, for the home team. Joe Altabelli's 1983 Orioles. Alto, the longtime organizational guy who took over for the legendary Earl Weaver just this year. And the 83 Orioles with a chip on their shoulders, the size of the Domino's sugar plant over there in Dundalk. The year before 83, they were so close to getting in the playoffs and getting the chance to wipe away the memory of that Game 7 World Series loss to the Pirates in 79. They started slowly in 83. They fell eight games behind the Brewers in mid-August. Then a furious rally. They won seven in a row, then lost one, won ten in a row. They swept five from the Yankees. They won two of three in Milwaukee, got to within two games with a week to go. In the end, they needed to sweep a season-ending four-game series with the Brew Crew at Memorial Stadium to complete the comeback. And they did win the first three. They pulled even. And they sent Jim Palmer out to pitch the finale against the Brewers' Don Sutton. Amazing pitching matchup. Fans brought brooms to the stadium, thinking sweep. But instead, the Brewers pounded Palmer, and they won the AL East, winning 10-2. After the final out, an emotional spectacle. The, the disappointed sellout crowd kind of rallied. They stand or stood up. They, they cheered for a long time, 45 minutes, in fact. The Orioles players left the clubhouse and came back to wave. Earl Weaver did, too. That set off the biggest roar of all, because Earl was retiring. So in 83, a chance to stick the landing, and they did it, with Ripken and Murray emerging fully as the young leaders, the pitching of young Storm Davis and Mike Boddicker. They won that AL East for the new manager. We mentioned Joe Altabelli, the chain-smoking Detroit native, had begun an 11-year apprenticeship as a manager in the Orioles farm system, culminating in six seasons in Rochester, AAA. Very successful there. The Giants hired him away to succeed Bill Rigney. And Alto missed uh, the chance to keep on going in San Francisco. He was dismissed in 1979. Then he joined the Yankees' AAA team, the Columbus Clippers. Led him to a first-place finish in 1980. Got promoted to a Yankees coach in 81 and 82. Worked under Gene Michael, Bob Lemon, and Clyde King. So before the 83 season, the Orioles said, let's bring Alto back. And... Uh, that 14-and-a-half-season career as Orioles manager Earl Weaver watched the Altabelli-led Orioles get to 98 wins. They won the AL East. They beat the White Sox, 99-game winners, three games to one in the ALCS. That was a great series. White Sox won the first game behind Lamar Hoyt. Then it was all Baltimore. They won games two and three. And then in Chicago, game four, scoreless into the 10th. Tito Landrum, the solo home run off Britt Burns, Salome Barojas came on, allowed two more runs, and the White Sox had been shut out on 10 hits. The Orioles winning that game 3-0, the series 3-1. And the World Series matched them against the Phillies, and of course a National League team from the Keystone State had just beaten the Birds in the 79. Fall Classic, at this time the, the Maryland State flag flying high and proud, those crazy cross and keys, the black and yellow and the red and the white, raised in triumph the I-95 World Series, 
To the Birds, four games to one. The one loss was in the opener in Baltimore. Even though John Denver, who's, uh, thank God I'm a country boy, doubles as a seventh inning stretch, uh, he sang the national anthem. You'd think that would be the, the big push to get a win. But no, nope, Gary Maddox, the game-winning home run. But then the Orioles reeled off four straight wins, and the last out corralled by Cal Ripken Jr., a little line drive, after Eddie Murray had blasted two home runs and Scott McGregor had pitched a five-hitter. Elsewhere in 83 around Major League Baseball, Orioles legend Brooks Robinson went into the Hall of Fame, and so did the man he had replaced as he owes third baseman way back when, fellow Arkansas native George Kell. Both those men would end up being popular TV broadcasters for the Orioles and the Tigers. Cy Young Awards that year, Lamar Hoyt for the White Sox, John Denny of the Phillies. Rookies of the Year, Ron Kittle of the White Sox, Daryl Strawberry for the Mets. Managers of the Year, Tony and Tommy, Tony La Russa, Tommy Lasorda. They'd win again five years later once La Russa was in Oakland. Your batting average leaders, Wade Boggs in the AL, Bill Madlock for the Pirates in the National League. Your home run leaders, Jim Rice and Mike Schmidt. Rice was tied with Cecil Cooper for the RBI lead in the AL. Dale Murphy won it for the Braves in the National League. Let's frame some pop culture for you before we get moving. Take you back to 1983. Well, other than this outstanding music you're listening to right now, the Redskins won their first NFL Super Bowl. They beat the Dolphins following the short season because of a, a player's strike. Final episode of MASH drew about 106 million viewers. And uh, nah, not everybody loved this, but I, I kind of was a MASH guy. So just the fact that everybody was sitting down to watch MASH one last time. I remember that as being pretty cool. Soon after that, Motown celebrating its 25th anniversary. They had the TV special during which Michael Jackson performed Billie Jean and introduced us to the moonwalk. Soon after that, Kiss appeared for the first time in public without their makeup. Did that on MTV. Right after the World Series ended, the U.S. invaded the Caribbean nation of Grenada, population 90,000. Cabbage Patch Kids were the big deal toy for Christmas. And at the movies, Al Pacino invited you to say hello to his little friend in Scarface. Eddie Murphy wished Dan Aykroyd Merry New Year in uh, Trading Places. And Matt Dillon told C. Thomas Howell to stay golden, pony boy. Or maybe it was Ralph Macchio saying that to Patrick Swayze. I, I'm not really remembering at this point. The Outsiders is the movie. Let's take you now to the Orioles starting lineup here in 83. John T-Bone Shelby in center leads it off. Ken Singleton, the D.H., Eddie Murray at first. Cal Ripken Jr., MVP. He is a shortstop hitting cleanup. Gary Renicki is in left. Disco Dan Ford in right. Rick Dempsey is the catcher. Todd Cruz at third. And Rich Dower playing second base. On the mound for Baltimore, taking his warm-up throws right now. Hall of Fame right-hander Jim Palmer. 37 years old now, the twilight of a wonderful career. This year, 4.23 ERA, making only 11 regular season starts. Had the 29-year-old Dennis Martinez taking some of those starts that Palmer missed, and it did not go well for Dennis Martinez. 5.53 ERA and 16 losses. Yikes. But the other guy's very strong. 29-year-old lefty Scott McGregor, 18 wins, 3.18 ERA. 21-year-old Storm Davis from out of nowhere, like a fast-moving weather front of some sort. 13 wins, 3.59. And you had Mike Boddicker, the real macho studly. 16 wins, ERA of 277. Let's not forget the lefty Mike Flanagan, 12 and 4 with a 3.3 ERA in 20 starts. He completed three of those. Palmer these days, not a complete game is kind of guy. He certainly was in the past. 
211 of them for his career, on his way to close to 4,000 big league innings pitched. His battles with his manager, Earl Weaver, the stuff of legend. Weaver thinking Palmer was a prima donna, but through it all, 268 wins for the part-time underwear model. Assuming he only goes six or so in this one, Baltimore does have a solid bullpen. Tippy Martinez, Sammy Stewart, Big Tim Stoddard, Dan Morgello, uh, a lefty gets in there sometimes, Alan Ramirez and Don Welchel towards the back. Not big names, but a solid group. Coached up by the great Ray Miller, whose credo of first pitch strikes was listened to. Yeah, if you're 3-1 and one or 2-0 and oh against everybody, by a guy's third AB, he's seen your entire family tree, said Ray Miller. So don't let him see every pitch you've got. Throw a strike one, and you get ahead, you stay ahead, you win some games. Under his tutelage, the Orioles always seem to have a 20-game winner or ERA champion or Cy Young winner. Palmer himself a three-time Cy Young winner, almost claimed it a fourth time last year in 82. He lost to the Brewers' Pete Vukovic when, honestly, a guy like Dave Steeb up in Toronto was probably most deserving. Speaking of Toronto, that gets us back to the 93 Phillies who lost to Toronto in that year's World Series. Lenny Dykstra at the plate, batting left-handed, and the first pitch of the tobacco-chewing outfielder is high for ball one. Dykstra hitting 305, 19 home runs, 66 batted in. Dempsey hangs the sign, Palmer deals, and it's outside, 2-0. You know, the trouble that followed the 93 season for Philly, some say started karma-wise with Dykstra after Mitch Williams gave up the World Series ending home run to Joe Carter. Dykstra was jogging in from the outfield after the home run. Pitch is high, it's 3-0. and Dykstra passed Williams. He said, oh, I guess there ain't going to be a game seven. Within days of that season's end, Williams went public with complaints about the way Kurt Schilling had draped a towel over his head in the dugout, the way Dykstra was acting. Everything just became unspooled. There's a strike from Palmer. It's now 3-1. and one. That was recently as 2015 at a sports roast in Philadelphia. Williams and Dykstra got into a truly obscene shouting match. Not a good look for anybody. Next pitch poured in for a strike. Full count now. No score just underway. The Orioles have John Shelby in center, Gary Renicki in left, and Ford in right. Todd Cruz at third, Ripken at short, Dower at second, Eddie Murray at first. Pitch comes, and it's rolled on the ground towards second base. There's Dower. Plants, and he fires. He got him. One away. That'll bring up the switch hitting at Kevin Stocker. What a year for him. 324, only a couple of home runs. Mariano Duncan, Kim Batiste, some time at shortstop as well. Little Juan Bell, little Joe Millette. Pitch to Stocker is fouled down here first. It's nothing in one. Up against the greatest pitcher in Orioles history, Jim Palmer. 19-year big league career spent entirely in Baltimore. At the World Series shutout at age 20. Eight 20-win seasons in a span of nine years back in the 70s. Palmer in with a fastball rides high. It's one and one. Jim Palmer lost only three of his 15 postseason starts. Only player to have pitched in a World Series in three different decades. 
and nearly 4,000 innings pitched, we mentioned, he never gave up a grand slam. Although, he did give one up at AAA to Johnny Bench. We'll hear about that later in the broadcast, by the way. Next pitch inside, it's 2-1 to Stockard. That was a big curve from Palmer that time. He's got the fastball on the slider as well. No score first inning. Palmer with a sign from his catcher, Dempsey. That quick glove flick as he delivers the next one. A ground ball towards second. Dower's got it. He'll plant, he'll fire. Two up, two down. Two grounders to second base. That glove flick from Palmer, so deceiving, so troubling for a batter. It's right in the batter's line of sight. Can really disrupt a hitter's timing. A 6-3 right-hander, just a master at that. So now it's the slender model, Mr. Palmer, against the rough-and-tumble, somewhat overweight Mr. Cruck. John Cruck, left-hand batter. 316 a hitter, 111 walks against 87 strikeouts, 14 home runs this year, and he takes in the dirt for ball one. Cruck in Baltimore for the 93 Phillies, represented as an all-star. That at the new ballpark, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. He was a highlight of the game against Randy Johnson. Remember, Johnson fired the fastball over the head of Cruck. He bailed out on the next two pitches, and he said he's going to kill somebody, that guy. Next one from Palmer. That's down the heart of the plate for his strike one and one. 85 runs batted in for Cruck this year off those 14 homers. Kicking the pitch from Palmer. That is stroked in a right field base hit. First hit of the game. Ground ball single. A little bit of a lunge there at second base by Dower, but he wasn't close to it. So it's one on for Pete and Cavillia now. Another big burly hitter, right-hander this time. 274 batting average, 24 home runs. Future Oriole, but will play at Camden Yards, not here at Memorial Stadium. This place at East 33rd Street, 900 East 33rd, 309 down the lines, 376 to the alleys, 409 to center. As the pitch wanders outside to Inky, it's 1-0. This stadium, also known as the Old Gray Lady of 33rd Street, and for Colts games, they call it the world's largest outdoor insane asylum. Big brick structure with the city of Baltimore seal in silver on the front entrance and a very long-winded screed underneath, noting the stadium was erected by the city of Baltimore in 1954. That's quite an erection. Next pitch fouled back to the net. It's one and one. The rest of the words on that front entrance, dedicated by the mayor and the city council and the people of Baltimore City in the state of Maryland as a memorial to all who so valiantly fought and served in the world wars with eternal gratitude to those who made the supreme sacrifice to preserve equality and freedom throughout the world, time will not dim the glory of their deeds. Here's the pitch. That swung on and laced in a center base hit. John Shelby ushers it back in quickly. It's two on, two out now. And here's Darren Dalton, 31-year-old catcher hitting 257. 24 home runs, 117 walks. He's one of three Phillies with more than 100 walks. Also, Cruck and Dykstra. A man with 105 runs batted in this year, batting with two on. He takes on the outside corner strike one, the big looping curve. Got a lot of handsome in this at bat. Palmer against Dalton. 
Dalton, the hard-nosed catcher, was a catalyst in 93, veteran player who produced big numbers, policed the clubhouse, and commanded respect on and off the field. Pitch here drips outside. It's one and one. When Phillies GM Lee Thomas brought in the veterans like Incavelia, Eisenreich, Danny Jackson, Dalton's the guy that made sure they kind of fell into his orbit. Did the same thing when the rookie Stalker arrived. And the resulting chemistry, the long analytical post-game gab fests in the trainer's room, so much of that was Dutch. Pitch from Palmer's outside 2-1. Two and one. With two on, no score. Dalton will finally win a World Series in 97 with the Marlins. But a lot of off-field issues for Darren Dalton. Taking here, and it's a strike two and two. He admitted to drug use, which confirmed the rumors about steroids and amphetamines and had long hovered over this famously bulked-up 93 team. Runners away from a first and second. Pitch on the way. Sling and a roller towards short. Cal Ripken to his left. He's got it. He'll run to the bag himself. And that'll retire the side. Two men left. The 93 Phillies failed to score. Let's pause in 1993 for this. KFC 599 eight-piece deal sure is a lot of chicken. Eight pieces of original recipe or extra tasty crispy chicken or a whole Colonel's Rotisserie Gold Chicken. Sure was a lot of chicken. How about tomorrow? Well, here in 2020, got to tell you about the coffee bean and tea leaf. You know, since 1963, they've been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from all around the world, responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas, the coffee bean and tea leaf, an experience like no other, and we sure appreciate their support here with the Throwback League. There is no score going to the bottom of the first. Terry Mulholland on the mound for Philadelphia, 12-9. and nine with a team-best 3.25 ERA, team-best among the starters anyway. Good rotation for the 93 Phillies. Kurt Schilling, one-time Oriole, not quite all there yet, but 16 wins despite an ERA of over four. Danny Jackson, 12 wins. Ben Rivera with 13 despite an ERA of five. The quiet star of the rotation, actually, 26-year-old Tommy Green, 16-4 and four, with a 3.42, kind of the Mike Boddicker of the 93 Phillies. The bullpen anchored by Mitch Williams, 43 saves, but also seven losses. David West and Larry Anderson, both with 2.92 ERAs out of that bullpen. Here is John Shelby leading off. T-Bone is what they call John Shelby. Lexington, Kentucky native, who will have a decent enough 11-year career with the Orioles, Dodgers, and Tigers. 258 hitter, he takes upstairs, ball one. Switch hitter batting right. 6'1", 175-pounder, who wears 37 on his back. 
Orioles in their bright orange tops with the white pants, the white caps trimmed in black and orange. Phillies in their road grays with the red Phillies in script across the chest. Pitch coming, a foul ball squibbed up near third. It's one and one. Cal Ripken, a senior, watching that one roll by. Shelby, not much for power. The only home run ball ever hit completely at a Memorial Stadium. That was Frank Robinson, Mother's Day of 1966 off Louis Tiant. Cleared the left field of single deck portion of the grandstand. That ball retrieved by a couple of kids, returned to Frank Robinson. Next delivery, ground ball towards second. Mickey Morandini's got it, flips to first. And there is one out, the dandy little glove man. Mickey Morandini, sounds like a nickname from the 1890s, not the 1990s, but that's Morandini. Former Oriole, the Cy Young Award winner Steve Stone was the guy that gave him that nickname during Morandini's two years in Chicago when Stoney was the Cubs color commentator. And in fact, Mickey Morandini, career 989 fielding percentage, fifth best all time among second basemen with 10,000 innings in the field. So with one out, here's Ken Singleton, another switch hitter, 36 years old now, taking outside ball one. Singleton batting second in this game tonight, but truth be told, he was down in the order for a lot of the 83 regular season by the playoffs, basically coming off the bench. He fouls it up near third. One ball, one strike. We mentioned Cal Ripken Sr., the third base coach, Jimmy Williams, over there at first. Singleton, nearly the MVP in both 77 and 79 in the AL, does everything well, except maybe steal bases. 21 for 57 lifetime stealing bases. Pitch coming, swing, and a line drive, base hit, up the alley, in right center. Dexter's got to go pick it up on the warning track. Singleton on his way to second, in there with a stand-up double. Ken Singleton able to go the other way with it, right to the right center alley, and a great chance for Eddie Murray now, another switch hitter. Three in a row to start the game in this Orioles lineup. Murray, 306 hitter this year, 33 home runs, 111 runs batted in. Basically a young infield version of Singleton. Lots of pop, hits for average, scary switch hitter. Got those big sideburns, lots of hair under that black batting helmet. Wearing 33 on his back, he takes inside, it's 1-0. Eddie Murray will never win an MVP award, but he'll come close a lot, including here in 83. He lost to his pal and teammate Cal Ripken Jr., who's out there on deck. Ripken, Murray, Carlton Fisk, Jim Rice, finishing one through four in that order here in the 83 voting. Fisk now in Chicago, but formerly a teammate of Rice's, of course, back in Boston. Pitch comes to Murray. He pegs it in a left field. That's a base hit. Singleton comes to third. He'll be held. Single for Eddie Murray. Makes the runners at the corners and just one out. For the baby-faced MVP, here is Cal Ripken Jr., 22 years old, 318 a hitter, great defense, 27 home runs, 107 runs batted in. Grew up a big fan of Brooks Robinson here in Baltimore, but he can't wear five in Brooks's honor. Did that all through the minor leagues, but that number retired here in Robinson's honor. So instead, he picked the number that to him looked most like a five. He picked eight which, if you tilt on its side, looks like the symbol for infinity 
And that's about right. Seems like Cal Ripken Jr. will play forever. Taking here, and it's a strike 0 and 1. Last year, his first full season in the big leagues, Cal started slowly. But he gathered himself, ended up rookie of the year, 28 home runs. And after all the debate about where he should play, he started the year at third base, switched to shortstop. He never looked back. Taking here, and it's inside, 1 and 1. 83 Orioles threatening here against the 93 Phillies. Go back to last year. It was May 29 of 82. Cal Ripken sat out the second game of a doubleheader against Toronto. Little did anyone know that would be the last sit-out for the rest of that season and the next 16 years. The starting the following day, that monumental consecutive game streak got underway. Swings, does Ripken here. He fouls it. It's 1-2. and two. The odometer spun to 2,632 consecutive games. Since then, around 4,000 players have gone on and off the DL. Ripken never missed a game. The other teams in the majors have combined to use nearly 500 starting shortstops in the time that Cal patrolled that spot for Baltimore. And he takes here outside. It's 2-2. Two and two. Of course, it was never completely accurate to say Ripken never had a day off. There are 20 days off built into each team's schedule. Cal's son, Ryan, will be born on one of those scheduled off days. First and third. And the pitch. Ground ball slowly hit towards short. Stocker does get it to second for one more. Indeed, into first, not in time. Run scores. Singleton's across. It is one to nothing. Ball hit just a little too slowly to turn two. And Cal Ripken with a final lunge at the bag at first beats out what would have been an inning-ending double play. Here comes Gary Renicki. Runners at first and second for this 260 hitter with 19 home runs. He takes it is high, ball one. John Lowenstein and Jim Dwyer also see time in left field. But Gary Renicki here against the lefty, the L.A. native. Mustache drooping halfway down his face. Pitch to him, swung on, popped in a shallow center, dropping. That is a base hit. It'll be first and second now with two out. That ball in on the fists of Renicki, but he fights it in the center. Here is Disco Danny Ford. Hitting 280, nine home runs. Another right-handed L.A. native. Former twin and angel. He had a home run off of Philly's lefty in the 83 World Series. That was Steve Carlton. But against the 93 Phillies facing the lefty Mulholland, who deals strike one with a fastball. Dan Ford found himself involved in some controversy off the field a couple years back. In 81, he posed for the centerfold in Playgirl magazine. Raised a few eyebrows around the clubhouse. But Ford proudly proclaimed himself a, a bit of a groundbreaker. Pointed out that a lot of other players soon followed his lead. Next pitch in for a strike. It's one and one. Dan Ford just kind of had his own way of doing things. Bobby Gritch said he used to drive us crazy before games. We'd have a 105 game. Dan would still be in his socks and shorts and t-shirt at 102. And at 104, he'd buckle his pants. And at 105, he'd walk into the dugout and say, I thought you guys would never make it. 
pitch to him. Cut on, lifted towards left, not deep. Easy pickings out there. And sure enough, Pete Cavillia's got it. That retires the side. Baltimore grabs the lead, though, on the 93 Phillies. The 83 Orioles on top, 1-0. Let's keep it here in 83. I'm here for my appointment, Dr. Count Dracula. When are you going to come in through the door? Oh, forgive me. Now, just because I'm your psychiatrist doesn't mean you can come in here and act crazy. I'm so upset. What's your problem? I'm never satisfied. You need an extra bite. I love an extra bite. Have you tried Baby Ruth? Does she live alone? The candy bar, Count. Baby Ruth is bigger than most other leading candy bars, so you get an extra bite in every bar. But how does it taste? I'm very picky. Mm, delicious. Baby Ruth has lots of fudge and nuts and caramel. Mm, yum, I love that. But doctor, this big Baby Ruth must be very expensive. Not at all, Count. You get an extra bite in every bar of Baby Ruth without paying extra. That's amazing. I'll go to the store and get a big bunch of bigger Baby Ruth. Who knows? Maybe I'll stay home tonight. <laughs> Great, Count. Just remember to go out the... Ah, the Baby Ruth. Was it named for Babe Ruth? Mm, conjecture on that one. Baltimore native Babe Ruth. Check out the fantastic Babe Ruth Museum next time you're in Charm City, right near Camden Yards. But as for 1983, let's talk about Ken Singleton for a moment. Let's talk with Ken Singleton. We mentioned that for a lot of the 83 season, it was uh, kind of watching a new dynamic, a new set of players come in. And through it all, though, this is a guy that led the American League in intentional walks. He had 19 of them. I asked Ken Singleton about that. Yeah, that's, well, it actually was uh, fairly easy to do. And the reason why is because by that time, you know, I was a full-time designated hitter. I wasn't playing uh, the outfield anymore. And I had been dropped in the order. They moved Cal Ripken up to my spot, into the third spot, and I was dropped down to sixth. And uh, I batted in front of, uh, let's see, Rich Dower, Todd Cruz, and Rick Dempsey. So when it came, when it came time to pitch to somebody with a base open, I wasn't going to be pitched to. They dropped me down. Um, they, they would put me on first base. And at the end of the season, uh, Joe Atabelli came up to me. He was managing the Orioles at the time. Weaver had retired. And Joe said, you had a heck of a year for batting in front of, you know, the bottom third of the order. And during the World Series, you know, I nicknamed them. You know, I had a pretty good year batting in front of the three Stooges. <laughs> and they ran with it. You know, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't, uh, they weren't mad at me at all. They weren't angry at all that they, they nicknamed the Three Stooges. And it kind of went over well during the World Series. It, uh, uh, although during the World Series, that was during the time when every other year the DH was invoked. And uh, I think I got uh, two at-bats during the World Series. I walked one and struck out once, I believe. And that was it. I walked with the bases loaded to drive in a run as a pinch hitter. And I think I struck out once as a pinch hitter. And uh, those are my only two appearances of the World Series, despite the fact that I drove in more runs than anybody on the Phillies, I believe, except for Mike Schmidt and um, uh, during the regular season. And he just didn't get to uh, play in the World Series. Now, that had happened to a teammate of mine, Lee May, in 1979. And I, I just looked at uh, Lee, and he never complained that he didn't get to play, although he was an integral part of our team as the DH is in the American League. 
and I took my cue from him. I didn't say much. You know, the writers asked me about it, and I said that uh, it's really not fair because uh, uh, you've played all year, and all of a sudden you got to sit and watch ball games. And I, I said, I hope they rectify this in the future. And they did. They did. You know, now uh, the American League parks, you use American League rules. And the National League Park, they use National League rules. And, you know, even going forward now, it appears that the DH is going to be full-time in both leagues. Uh, so, you know, DH will be in, in the postseason in the World Series full-time. All right, thanks so much to Ken Singleton. Jim Palmer about to get back to work. And before he does, let's hear from Jim Palmer, too, because we mentioned in passing, Jim Palmer made it through his entire Major League career, 19 seasons, never having allowed a grand slam. And there was an old wives' tale out there that, yeah, maybe back in the minor leagues, he might have served one up to a future Hall of Famer by the name of Johnny Bench. I had heard about that, wanted it confirmed. So here's what Jim Palmer had to say. No, no, no. I, uh, when I had the sore arm, I pitched, uh, uh, it was 1967, and I went up there, and they were actually, you know, all the racial strife was going on in the United States, so we had to go play in Niagara Falls. We played in a, we played in a high school, you know, I mean, the uh, yard markers on the football field were coming out towards the mound. I warmed up in right center field on a berm, and I struck out Johnny Bench with about an 82-mile-per-hour fastball because my, you know, I had a torn rotator cuff. I hadn't hadn't really found it out yet, so uh, I have a 6 nothing lead, and I walked the bases loaded, and Earl Weaver was my manager, and he runs out, and he goes, just throw the ball down the middle to this guy. Well, it was Johnny Bench, and somehow he struck out on a fastball over his head. I have no idea how. The first time, well, he launched one towards the falls. The last time we saw it, it was headed towards Niagara Falls. And a couple of things, I mean, that, that, I actually did throw another uh, grand slam to Freddie Potek in, in Fort Myers with the wind blowing out oh, wow. uh, in spring training a day. gave up 10 runs and 14 hits. But uh, people say, well, gee, why, how come you never listen to Earl Weaver? I said, well, because he told me to throw the ball down the middle of the plate <laughs> with Johnny Bench. And, of course, about two weeks later, Johnny Bench uh, went to the big leagues um, from Buffalo and, you know, commenced his Hall of Fame career. So, right. um, But, you know, it's funny. I, I, the closest was ever in, in, in Cleveland. Back then, Eckersley just walked away. He and I are, I had to win my last seven starts to win 20, and I'm going for number 19, and it's 1-1 in the in the bottom of the eighth inning, get the bases loaded, nobody out. But Bruce Bakke, Andy Thornton, and Rico Cardi coming up. And uh, Bakke strikes out on a, like the fifth high fastball, 2-2. Thornton pops up the first pitch, and I go, ooh, maybe I'll get out of this. Of course, Rico Cardi he was about two years prior to hit 366 and won the batting title for the yeah. for the Braves in the National League. Well, he had hit a home run off me down and away. Only one right, one four to one early in the year, about 430 feet. So I eliminated that pitch. <laughs> so I said, I'll take a deep breath. I'll throw him a high fastball. You see, I always swung. Took it. And I throw another one. Take a deep breath. He takes that one. And I go, oh, I think i got a problem here. Right. So I take a little bit off. I throw him a fastball. Kind of down and away. Hits it off the end of the bat. And Al Bumbry, who was a terrific outfielder for us, he goes back and back and back. I mean, soft fly ball, but the wind's blowing out. Fences are in that year. The, you know, the Indians used to bring them in, depending on their offense. And Al didn't jump over the fence, but he actually reached up and kept the ball from going over the right. wall. And then Kenny Singleton and Eddie Murray uh, hit back-to-back -back home runs off Dennis Eckersley in the ninth, and I won my 19th game. Wow. So uh, that's the closest. Very cool of Jim Palmer to check in here in a one nothing ball game. We're in the top of the second inning. And moving ahead here to further action, as they say, well, the Phillies will actually grab a lead here. Dave Hollins walking. Eisenreich with a ground ball single. Mariano Duncan pops out, but then Morandini punches a single in a left. That makes it bases loaded. Lenny Dykstra 
He's going to hit the grand slam off of Palmer. No, he draws a walk, though, and that ties the game 1-1. Kevin Stocker, then a 6-4 fielder's choice, a 2-1 Philadelphia lead before John Cruck would ground out to end the inning. 2-1 ball game to the bottom of the second. Rick Dempsey grounds out to third to lead it off against Mulholland. Todd Cruz, a single in a left center. Let's pick it up right there with Rich Dower at the plate. He takes low for ball one. Dower, so good defensively, holds a couple of American League fielding records for a second baseman. 86 errorless games in a row at one point. 425 errorless chances in a row. That was in 1978. Former USC Trojan, one of the few players to have won a College World Series and a Major League World Series. Pitra Mulholland is lined down here, third and spare. Inside the bag, it'll go to the left field corner. And Todd Cruz coming to third. He'll be held there by Cal Ripken Sr. Into second base with a double goes down. Second and third, one out. And John T-Bone Shelby coming up. He's 0 for 1. Ken Singleton moves out on deck. Mulholland's such a great pickoff move. Cruz was tight to the bag during that dower at bat. That's probably why he didn't score on that double into the corner. With first base open, the pitch to Shelby. Swung on, popped up. Over towards third base, Dave Hollins ranging into foul ground. And he's got it, two out. So it stays two to one for the 93 Phillies for now. Here is Ken Singleton. Do you walk him? This is just what we were talking about. Do you walk him with first base open? Well, Eddie Murray is on deck. Murray will end up with 19 career grand slams. So maybe the thing to do here is to actually pitch to the aging Ken Singleton. It looks like they'll do exactly that. Runners at second and third. And the pitch from Mulholland is belted. High fly ball, deep left center. Incavillia back, Dykstra back. This ball gone! Ken Singleton, three-run home run. The 83 Orioles are on top now, 4-2. to two. Well, Kenny Singleton, a switch hitter, with power from both sides of the plate. He guns one out against a lefty this time. Very much like the last home run of his career. Also here, also off a lefty. Got Al Nipper of the Red Sox with a grand slam. Late September of 84. Here tonight against Mulholland for a three-run home run. The Orioles lead 4-2. to two. And here is Murray. He takes strike one. Singleton, in fact, his last two home runs of his major league career, they were both salami. So one he hit off Nipper. One before that was in Seattle off Ed Vandenberg. Somehow three of the last six home runs for Singleton in his big league career were with the bases loaded. Now we mentioned Murray not for nothing, 19 career grand slams. The last one is 501st overall on his way to 504. Pitch to Murray, swung on, ground up the middle, Mickey Morandini with a dive, he's got it. Gets up, fires to first to get Eddie Murray, and that retires his side. Nice play by the dandy little glove man. 4-2, though. The 83 Orioles leading at the end of two innings. All right, let's do that move ahead to further action thing. Let's get this thing going. Let's go along here to the top of the third. Phillies looking to come back. They do somewhat. Pete Incavillia crushes a home run to left center, right near where Singleton had hit his 4-3. But that was all the scoring they could muster in the top of that inning. 
Orioles right back with a couple in the bottom of the third. Cal Ripken Jr. with a fly ball out to left, but after that, Renicky a double to left. Dan Ford, RBI single, makes it 5-3. Rick Dempsey followed up with a line shot single. Todd Cruz popped out, but then Rich Dower, a little ground ball single to left. That would make it 6-3 Baltimore. Shelby, another pop-up to end the inning. So 6-3 to the top of the fourth. Here come the Phillies. After a Mariano Duncan deep fly out to left, Morandini reaches on a rare Cal Ripken Jr. error, a kick at shortstop from Cal. Lenny Dykstra, ground ball single in a right center. Kevin Stocker follows with a line drive single in a right. That makes it 6-4, brings up John Cruck, but he bangs into a double play, 4-6-3. 6-4 ball game at that point. No scoring in the fifth, no scoring in the sixth. Top of the seventh now. Kevin Stocker lines to short. John Cruck walks. Pete Incavilia having a nice game base hit to right. After Darren Dalton would be... Uh, take a called third strike. Coming through, Dave Hollins punching a single in a right center. That trimmed the lead to 6-5. to five. That was it for Jim Palmer. We mentioned he wasn't supposed to really go more than six innings at this stage of his career. Tim Stoddard on to pitch, and he gets Jim Eisenreich to ground out to second. That keeps it 6-5 to five Baltimore. Everybody up and stretching, singing, thank God I'm a country boy. Then the bottom of the seventh against David West. Now the Orioles start to pull away. Renicky base hit. Ford with a walk. Dempsey a fielder's choice. But then another walk. This one to Todd Cruz. Base is loaded. Rich Dower draws the walk against the Wild Wild West. 7-5 Orioles at that point. John Shelby, ground ball to third. They come home with it for the fielder's choice. It stays 7-5. Singleton up. Chance to do major damage, but he fouls out to the catcher. Popped it straight up into the air. Darren Dalton makes that play on him. 7-5 into the eighth inning. Orioles trying to add to the lead. Larry Anderson on to pitch. Eddie Murray strokes a single in a right. Ripken strikes out. In fact, a rough game for Cal Ripken Jr. He ends up 0-5. But Gary Renicky single in a center field. Dan Ford, his second walk of the game. So you have the bases loaded for Dempsey. And the Demper coming through. Base hit in a center, scoring two. That makes it 9-5. Roger Mason on for West or excuse me, on for Larry Anderson at this point. And uh, it was Todd Cruz who would hit a sack fly to left to make it 10-5. to five. Looking great going to the top of the ninth. No need for Tippy Martinez or Sammy Stewart, you wouldn't think. They just chuck Alan Ramirez out there, but he'd have a bit of a struggle. Put a couple on. They did turn to Tippy Martinez for the final two outs, and he got them. Your final score, the 1983 Orioles 10 and the 93 Phillies 5. 10 runs, 17 hits, 1 error for the O's. 5-12-0 for the 93 Phillies who are eliminated. Mulholland losing it. And Palmer pitching long enough to get the win. You have the save to Tippy Martinez at the very end. So, the 83 Orioles move to the Sweet 16. Next week, more Orioles for you. Not the 83 team managed by Alto. It'll be the 79 team managed by the irascible Earl Weaver. That team, a 10 seed that advanced back in early June against the 81 Dodgers. They'll draw a very tough assignment. They're heading to Riverfront Stadium. Waiting for them, you have a two seed, the 1976 Cincinnati Reds, managed by Sparky Anderson. So Hall of Fame managers will go head-to-head. -head. Cal Ripken will be up against Pete Rose. Eddie Murray against Tony Perez. Should be a lot of fun. And we hope you will join us. Hope also that you're downloading and subscribing here 
Wherever you get your podcast, make sure you leave us a nice review. Appreciate that very much. And check out the website. We've got all the box scores and all the podcasts there for you. Some other fun stuff, too, the throwbackleague.com. This is Josh Lewin from Baltimore. Thanking you very much. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.